Remember, when revival comes, uh, you bow your head and tremble because you know that God is here. In his presence, even John the Revelator fell at his feet. Powerful to think about that. And, but I want to shift gears a little bit, if I can, this morning and focus on the harvest. I want you to read the verse with me, just a few verses this morning, out of Matthew chapter 9. Verse 36, if you look at your Bible there, it says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. I think it's interesting when we think about this is that what moved the Lord Jesus Christ was the multitude. So I entitled this, Moved by the Multitude, and I, I think that we have to go back and understand, too, that perhaps that understanding that the multitude in the harvest is our responsibility, we don't even think about it. We have a lot of farms out by us. We have a lot of fields that are first yellow, uh, then they become golden. Um, some of them are green, and then they become golden. They get ready to harvest. And although noticing the beans are getting closer and closer, uh, in some cases, there's some that are still pretty green. But I saw some uh, fields this morning. I think next Monday, a week from tomorrow, they're going to probably bring out the combine and, and, and bring in those. And, and by the way, it, it is the responsibility of the farmer to be able to go and bring that in. And I, I, I think that we've kind of lost that in our churches to understand that there's a harvest in the world. And uh, there was a songwriter that wrote, bringing in the sheaves, bringing, you know, we sang it. You sing it, you watch an old Western and they're singing it. And, and we realized that there was a need at one time to bring them in so that they could hear the word of God and they could see the need. I, I think um, that we would actually see the need to go and get them and bring them in. Um, I, I said a couple of Sundays ago that I really don't want to be part of a church that's not involved with bringing people in that we could help them uh, and, and, and encourage them. And so, um, so I want to, the purpose behind this is reminding us of our field and the responsibility we have to bring in the harvest. Um, in the movie um, Schindler's Lists, one of the most moving scenes is near the end of the three-hour drama, Oscar Schillender had invested his energy and his fortune in saving the lives of hundreds of Jews who would have otherwise been killed during Hitler's Holocaust. Uh, because of the war uh, is at its end, the Jews he saved will become free men and women, while Schindler will become a fugitive. In the movie, he walks to his car with his Jewish friends and the others around them. Schindler begins to cry. He looks at his watch, um, and he says, if I would have sold that, I probably could have saved more. looks at his car, and he knows that he could have exchanged it for additional lives. And he finally then looks at one of his friends, and he says, I could have done more. Oscar Schindler said, I could have done more. 
Oscar Schindler knew that he could have done more to save the Jews from perishing in death camps. And you and I could do more to save people from perishing in hell. The Bible says in verse number 35, and Jesus went out in the cities and villages and teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But it was when he saw the multitude that he was moved. And he was moved then because of the multitude. And when you and I see the people as Jesus sees them, uh, the crowds, and as Oskar Schindler saw the Jews in Nazi Germany, I, I really believe it will move us. I think when we understand just a few things this morning, and I want to help you understand that from the text, and, and, and I want you to learn this real quick with me if, if I could, um, teach you just a little bit of what Jesus was teaching and presenting here in verse number 36. Look at your Bible, if you would. And when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Let me just uh, take about two minutes to three minutes here and share with you that the word compassion here uh, in the Greek language is the same word for mercy, okay, if you were to, even if you want to Google it now, you can go ahead while I'm preaching and Google the words if you want to, and see if I'm telling you the truth or not. But look, if you would, back at chapter 9, verse number 10, and it came to pass that Jesus sat at meat in the house. Uh, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And so this particular verse is telling us that Jesus was sitting with a bunch of people who were drinking beer and uh, partying, perhaps. But they were, at, they were having meat there at the house, these were publicans, they were unsaved people, they were sinners, and he came and he sat down with him and his disciples. Look at verse number 11. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eat with the master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. And so um, Jesus is giving them a lesson helping them understand that he didn't come to pamper the religious. Um, Jesus came to save the lost sinner. And uh, they might just be in places that perhaps um, you may not show up at. Um, But look at verse 13. But go ye and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And so I want you to know what that means. And so I really think it's important for us to understand, it says, Jesus is saying, I will have compassion, that's the same word, I will have mercy, and not sacrifice. So we're we're going back to the saying, you know, that that the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus himself is saying, rather than sacrifice, like maybe going and getting a couple of, sheep or young steers and slaying them, you know, that's okay to do that. But what I want to see is, is I want to see you have compassion and mercy upon those that don't have what you have, the spiritual direction that Christ has given you, the ability to grow up in a Christian home, the ability to be able to learn the text, to be able to understand what the Bible says. And so this particular understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 9 Verse number 36 gives us a little bit more um, understanding of the, of the reason why Jesus has come. 
And then he gives that responsibility to us. Remember the co-mission? The co-mission, his mission has been given to us. We are co-laborers with him. And that commission is to go and to be able to uh, bring the gospel to all parts of the world. And so I want to give you just a few things to think about um, regarding the passage here. Verse number 36, if I've got your attention, I want you to look at this. Number one is that the harvest is plentiful. I was thinking about this whole thing about the fields. We have a farmer, uh, we have 135 acres out where we're at. Maybe, maybe 10 of those are with buildings. Uh, the rest of it is all uh, pretty well fields. There is a little bit of woods. Um, but there is a whole lot of corn uh, that this guy puts up uh, on that many acres. And that's, you say, well, it's not very many acres. It's not much, much corn. But I look at it sometimes and I'm just... I'm overwhelmed. Sometimes if I get on my four-wheeler and I go up into the hill, I got this little trail up there and I look over and I can see all the way to 12, 18, 12 and 18, nothing but corn, Brother Tom. It's just amazing how much is out there. And I'm thinking, wow, look at how, how much is there. And I, I see that the harvest is, is plentiful. There's just an incredible amount of harvest. And who's going to bring all that corn in? They've got to have the right machinery. They've got to have the right workers. They've got to do it at the right time. The weather has to cooperate. And so we understand this. But when we're talking about humans and we're talking about people, uh, I think that now we understand verse 37 that says, unto his disciples the harvest truly is plenteous. And the laborers are few. The world is big, by the way. It's huge. It's getting bigger. I was thinking about the crowds and the number of spiritually lost people that are dying and they're overwhelmed with the culture we live in and all of their desire is to just stay home and stay safe and keep their family calm. Let me tell you something, dear friend. The best thing you can learn is to understand what the will of the Father is and to do it because that's the safest place for you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added unto you. Get your priorities in order because guess what? The Lord Jesus Christ is going to soon return. And we want to make sure that we're ready for that. And you're here to hear uh, from God this morning. And I want you to know that as I look over the cornfields of our, of our uh, Cottage Grove district or whatever you want to call it, the fields of my, my father-in-law's land and everything, and I look at all of that, I look at the, the, the world today and the world is big and the crowds are huge. In Jesus' day... The population of the world was approximately 150 million people. Today's world population grows 150 million every two years. Every two years, there's 150 million people more on this planet. So the world's population now exceeds 8 billion people. Maybe you could Google it. It'll probably just take you tonight to 2020, but you've got to add on what's actually happening and what the increase has been. And now we're at about 8 billion people with a population of the United States, and as of January 1st of this year, is 334,233,854 people as of January 1st, 2023. That's a lot of people. 8 billion people. People in the world. Social media just kind of blows my mind today because I've got friends all over the place now. Uh, It came when some people came to our church that were pretty well-known. 
I'm just a drywaller kid from Madison here. I grew up in this city. Not, not many people know who I am. But, but I'll tell you what, people knew who they were, and so then they were latching on to me because they were part of our church, and so I've got a lot of friends. In fact, I was just looking down at my notes here, and I got someone from Africa looking, they want some money for their building program. You know. I mean, here he is in a little small place there in Africa writing me a little letter saying, can you give us some money for our building program? <laughs> Maybe they heard that we have 44 missionaries, I don't know. We don't have a whole lot of funds that we can give him what he needs and so on. But I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that we've kind of been somewhat connected because I've got friends that live in Kiev. In Kiev, or whatever you want to say it. Some live in Chernobyl-Sloboda. People that I, I know where uh, a father was in an accident and, and uh, the two girls would come to church and, I, and mom was there and I, just was, I was just moved by their testimony that uh, their dad almost died. He was in a coma and the kids and the mom got saved, came to Christ, and then the dad gets out of the hospital, and he gets saved, and he's part of the church there. Grace Baptist Church in Chernobyl-Sloboda, about 40 miles outside of Kiev. That's part of grace. But, but, but the Lord has allowed us to do this, and the Lord has given us that opportunity to be able to help. And, and there are people in the auditorium that understand what I'm talking about, because they gave toward that, but the harvest is plentiful if we were to say, well, where's the harvest uh, come here on Friday night, you'll see the harvest. It is so needed right now. Let me just move on. The harvest not only is plentiful, but it is precious. The harvest is precious. Not only was the harvest of people a vast as Jesus looked upon it, but those people brought tears to his eyes because it was precious to him. All those people then and now matter to Jesus, and you matter, and you can say, do not pass me by. I'm here ready to go with you. Make no mistake, Jesus loves people. The Bible says in verse 36, but when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them. And the word compassion, we explained it, but it's stronger than what I gave you. It actually means pity in the Greek language. Also, it describes the love that moves a person to the depths of their being. It is the type of love that moves people to cry out, to help others like Oscar Schindler did when he cried out for the Jews. It is the love that moves people beyond a sentimental feeling and a heartfelt uh, desire. It moves them to an action to do something, to have that passion that actually says, I've got to do something for this next generation. I don't know what moved you to, to come this morning, but I'm glad you did. But as I look at you, I realize that in this auditorium, there are so many needs. Every person represents a need. How many needs are there in this place this morning? And I, I think the problem has become the church is dying out. It's because the church thinks it doesn't need anything. I think sometimes we get pretty content with our lives because we live in America and we have it so good. And that's wonderful. That's God's blessing to us. And we ought to be thankful to him. I got up this morning and I started heading to the church and I was just overwhelmed with the beauty of autumn and, and this beautiful uh, scenery and how everything changes. I wouldn't want to live in any other part of the world or any other part of this country. I love Wisconsin and I love this area. God moves me, I'll move, of course, but I'm so thankful I live where I live. 
pulling out of here yesterday after the men's prayer breakfast and heading down with some breakfast with some, some men, and I looked at the missionary tree. Did you notice it this morning? The top of it is turning red. The missionary tree is a silver maple out here underneath it. It was actually donated by people that are in Singapore, and now that missionary is in Malaysia, and they had they given that money so that we could actually put an, a, a, a tree out there to remember Ju, uh, Geraldine Ott. It's a beautiful tree, and I see the touch of heaven on it. There's a tree that if you look out our secretary's office, if you'd walk out of her office straight ahead and look out the glass doors, there's a tree over here in the neighborhood. It's the first one to turn completely red. It's amazing how that is. I mean, just in a couple of weeks, that's going to be completely red. From a beautiful green to completely red. Those are God's colors. He does all things good. He is our God. But this is the God who understands that there are an incredible amount of needs and even needs in this place this morning. And so I want to help you understand that when we get to the place of thinking we have it so good and we, have, we don't have any needs, I really believe that's the problem with the churches today. It's because we have turned over to performance, of course, rather than worship. You could go ahead and perform in a park somewhere, whatever. But when we have church and we come to worship God, we want to be able to bring, bring people along with us, but we want to be able to bring, bring people of need. Let me just read a passage of Scripture that kind of uh, encourages this thought, that we, we need to understand God's plan of meeting the needs for our culture. Uh, in our society we live in. Luke 14, verse 12 through 24 reads this way. Then said he also unto him that bade him, when thou makest a dinner for a supper, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and then recompense be made to thee. In other words, don't do something for somebody that can pay you back. Do something for somebody who can't pay you back. Took some money out of my wallet this week and I gave it to a guy I knew I'd never see it again. All part of the process. Jesus is conveying this to them. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one another consent began to make excuse the first one said unto him i bought a piece of ground and i must needs go and see it i pray thee to have me excused and another said i bought five yoke of oxen and i must go and prove them i pray thee have me excused and another said i married a wife and therefore i cannot come and the servant came and showed his lord these things and when the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets, into the lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, 
It is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which are bidden shall taste of my supper. What an incredible passage, because what Jesus was conveying to them was the simple truth that we have to go and get them and bring them in so that we can actually fill this church up with not people who don't have any needs, but with people who have needs. Do you get what's going on in our culture today? We've got churches full of people who don't have any needs. So there's no tears. There's no heart. There's no passion. There is just people that are content and yawning and waiting for Jesus to return. We've lost our passion. We've lost... We're not seeing things through the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're seeing them through our own life and through our own contentment and for let me tell you something when somebody comes here and they say we need to have a little talk pastor and i go in the office and they tell me about the death of their son or their daughter guess what they're in great need and the eyes water and the prayers are there but when the children are all healthy and there's no needs, and, and, and I really believe that that's the issue of our church today, and I think it's important for us to look at this passage a little different. Roy Fish served as the professor of the evangel- 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 I have verbal dyslexia. There was a professor at Southwestern Baptist University. For years, his infant son had an illness. Uh, uh, He brushed him with death, and Fish's heart was completely broken. He thought of his son dying. And as his son's frail body laid in the hospital bed, Fish went right up to him, and with his whole heart, he cried out to God. And then he said to those around him, he said, what I would regret the most is if my son died and never really knew how much I really loved him. God, make him well so I can tell him how much I love him. And sometimes God makes us well so he can show you how much he loves you. You see, we miss it so many times because we have it so good and we are so comfortable. And I think it's important for us to understand how precious you are to the Lord and how The harvest is precious. But number three, the harvest is perplexed. Jesus described the crowd here as beginning, those that are going to faint. Look at the verse again. Verse number uh, 36 says, And when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. There's three things here. They, they, They fainted, and they were scattered abroad, and they were as sheep having no shepherd. A lot in that particular portion. I think really they fainted and were scattered abroad having no shepherd. Fainted meant that they were, they were like in a situation where they felt like they were defeated in life, like they didn't have enough strength to even get up the next morning. It seems like they were ready to, to quit life. And I had a call just the other night from someone that was looking towards suicide, and I was working him through all of that and saying that wouldn't be, be foolish and giving him hope. And he, but, but he wanted to end it all. Other people that you know that are there, This is the way the culture was at the time Jesus was looking out over them and knowing that they needed him. 
There are people that struggle, toils and struggling, punch them in the stomach time and time again. They seem like they're down, and they seem like they're on the final count. One, two, three, four. You ever watch a fight and you're saying, get up! Get up and fight! And the guy at eight gets up and he shakes it off and he goes at it again. I think this is what God desires for you when you get to the place where you're weak and unable to move forward and ready to quit. Scattered meant that they were broken without purpose because of this desire to faint or maybe it was that they were broken without purpose and that's what caused them the desire to quit. I don't know, but they were wandering aimlessly, people without hope, without meaning, without reason for living, like sheep without a shepherd meant that they, were, they, they didn't have anybody to lead them. There were no pastors to help them. Sheep are dumb animals. They simply put their heads down and follow anything. If a guide or a leader does not exist, they will simply wander and wander and destroy themselves. So those three thoughts, they fainted, scattered abroad, sheep without a shepherd, are a fitting description of our culture today. I had the great opportunity to have British, both American and British literature when I was in college. and I was overwhelmed because I didn't have it in high school. And I was just... I was like, wow, this, there's a lot of creativity in words, and there's a lot of things that we don't express. And Ralph Waldo Emerson was one of those men I read, and people are living lives of quiet desperation was one of his poems. People are living lives of quiet desperation. Isn't that really what's going on today? They are desperate for meaning and purpose. They're distraught because the world has lied to them. And if you put all of your love and your desire and your pride of position or your pleasures or your lust of the flesh, you're going to come up empty every single time because there's nothing in this world that will satisfy your soul. Nothing but Jesus Christ and him alone. And he is enough. And when I see the behavior of a lot of Christians today, I want to ask them and say, is Jesus enough? For you, he should be. Look at him. He's in the distance, weeping over the city, having compassion on him. He was moved by the multitude. But there are many today that are walking down a path that Jesus referred to as the broad road that leads to death. And I, I say we're sinking like the Titanic. And most would love to just dance the night away. And a time to wake up, dear friend, and understand that the harvest is plenteous. The harvest, of course, is precious. But the harvest also is perplexed. The harvest also is perishing. And on another occasion, Jesus mentions these words and John chapter 4, verse 35, he says, Say ye not ye, therefore, that you, are, you have four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already for harvest. And while I don't know too much about farming, I know a little bit about it. And I do understand kind of the ripening of wheat 
Isn't there a winter wheat that they plant? And it takes kind of a golden hue to it when it's ready for the harvest. If reaping it delayed, the grain begins to turn pale, a pale white, getting close to the end. You've got to get out and get it done. And that's where we're at in our culture today. And I don't want to belabor the point, but let me tell you something. When you bring the needs in here, God shows up. When you get a bunch of people who don't have any needs, is God there? Oh, he's there. I think it's important for us to know that the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to move forward. There is always a sense of urgency to bring in the harvest. If you're ever around a farm, they skip meals. They work endlessly. I remember working into the evening hours. I was working with uh, bringing in the... We had chopper boxes, and we had some new ones, but we had some older chopper boxes, and we, we chopped up the hay, and we had an old man named Harold Bartlett. He was a Gideon, um, and, and, and he'd come over to help it. They turned it into B&B Acres. It was Bridges that owned it, and then it became Bridges and Bartlett, so it was B&B Acres. It was 370 acres. It was a little bit bigger, and uh, I remember one evening we were in the the process of bringing all the, the chopped hay in, and we had one of the older wagons, and then the, the belt underneath broke. Because it, has, it has, a, has a belt underneath with, with arms on it that brings the, 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 the chopped hay closer, and, then it, and it goes into a little valley that the, with an auger on it and spits it out into the, so it can go up into the, into the silo. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? No? Anyway, so it broke, and so what do I have to do? Ha, D- Dean, crawl up in there and, and shovel that into the auger. You know, so uh, we, we you know, worked as hard as we could up until milking time, got the milking done, went back out. I think we got in about 1 o'clock in the morning, I think, that time. I, I think I was 17, you know. I don't think I've ever been that tired and that exhausted. But that Daryl Bridges said to me, he came here and visited one time, but he said to me, we must get the harvest in. It was our responsibility, no matter how tired I got. I fell asleep in a chair on the inside. In fact, the next day, I woke up to sunshine, which I didn't, hadn't done for a long, long time, and I heard the put 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 of the, of the 620 doing the chores that I should have been doing, so his wife was up doing them, so I got to sleep in a little bit that morning. I'll never forget. The point I wanted to make was there was a harvest to get in, and we had a passion because it was our responsibility. And dear friends, do you realize what Jesus said to his disciples? Go ye therefore unto all nations. That was a command given to us. It was an imperative. I don't care what your theological perspective is. You cannot take away from the words of Jesus that he gave us the responsibility to go get them and to bring them in. Someone says, well, pastor, don't you realize what those guys are doing to the carpeting on Friday night? Oh, I'm very well aware of what they're doing. In every single spot that I see or I scrub, I realize that it is a need that we're trying to meet. Amen? Amen. There's always a sense of urgency. I think of 8 billion people in the world, and it is estimated that over 30 million people worldwide will die without Christ this year. 30 million people. 
and of over the 334 million people in this country, it is estimated that 41% of that people that we talk about that live in this country are unchurched. That means that they don't go to church at all, not even at Easter or Christmas. They don't go to funerals. They don't go to weddings. They do not darken the doors of the church at any time in the year. And if they are to die that way, they will have an eternal punishment. There is some urgency here. I think of the old preacher Vance Havner. He used to say this tragedy of our time is that the situation is desperate, but the saints are not. So we are living in desperate times. Desperate times demand action. We're living in a time when little boys are being pulled and little girls are being pulled into things through this social media agenda. And I don't even know if you're realizing, but if you were to Google how many children were actually disappeared in Cleveland, Ohio, just over the last couple of months, thousand children gone. No one knows where they're at. You don't think that that's desperate? What is going on, people? wants to talk about it. Three weeks before President John F. Kennedy was assassinated, he said almost all presidents leave office feeling that their work is unfinished. And I have lots to do and little time to do it. He didn't realize that his life would be taken and he never had the opportunity. But at Followers of Jesus Christ, we have much work to do and little time to do it and we must get that passion back. The time demands urgent action. Remember, the gospel is only good news if it arrives on time. And then the harvest is the priority. Feel what Jesus feels. He is overwhelmed by his love for the people and sees the vastness of the crowds, the perplexity of their problems. And then he has this sense of urgency to reach them. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers unto his harvest. When I'm praying and asking for God to lead people to our church, I'm praying, lead people to us that are willing to get out of their comfort zone and go and get them and bring them in. That's why we have a bus ministry on Sunday mornings. That's why we've always had it since I've been the pastor, and as long as I'm the pastor, we will continue because I realize the urgency, and if I just bring one in and that one person gets saved, it's worth it all. That's easy to say. It's it's, it's different when we think, and by the way, God wants you to reach your people, your sphere of influence. I, I don't have much of an influence, but you do, and you have people where I, I don't. The Pharisees, in their pride, looked at the destruction of the sinners, and Jesus, in love, died for the salvation of sinners. And herein lies one of the greatest truths of the Christian faith, that the harvest will never be reaped unless there are reapers to reap. I love what Romans 10 and verse 13 and 14 read. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How many love that verse? 
whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's so true because that's the very verse I use when I'm leading someone to Jesus Christ because it's not some religious format that they have to do in a checklist. He has already done everything for you, and he's even weeping for you that you would come to him and that you would fall at his feet and say, Save me, I call upon you, and he'll save you. But then it says in verse 14, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And so the preacher must understand that when he brings someone to the place of salvation, he must teach and preach Jesus Christ alone for salvation. It's not some system of belief. It is Jesus Christ alone. So Jesus Christ needs men and women to bring in the harvest. Jesus' followers today need to see people as Jesus saw them. What can we do? We can take the responsibility of our field. Think of all the people we come in contact every day, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our associates, a woman at the cleaners when you drop off the dry cleaning. When you, when you saw the guy washing his car, or perhaps you were at the car wash, you're at the health club, or maybe you're even garage sailing. I put that in there. Whatever, wherever it is, you can take a track and give that to the person, and that is your field. We are responsible for them. We are responsible to bring them to Christ. We'll never have a sense of urgency and priority until we are moved by the multitude. So what can we do? Number one, we can pray. Lord, lead me to someone who needs me today. Lead me to someone who needs you today, Lord. Lead them to me. And Lord, when they come, I haven't had my coffee yet, Lord, so please make it clear that this is to me. You brought them to me so I can give them the gospel. Amen? We can pray. Or we can go. I used to love taking missions trips down to Juarez. We took them to El Paso. And before it became a scary place to be, we go into El Paso and we would print the word of God. Brother, I just I had a picture recently where um, Brother Gamer was with his daughter there, I believe. And I don't know if I was with you that year or not, but... I must have been because the picture, I took the picture. And uh, we, would, we would collate scriptures. And then we would get them all put together, and then he would cut them, put covers on them, and take them to people across the border. It was just a beautiful ministry to see all these teenagers, and your daughter went, and your sons went. <laughs> It's interesting because they got to hold the scriptures that went to somebody else. And by the way, I think, oh, they wouldn't read it. I went to a restroom at a place that was actually, it was, it was a home where it was all made of cardboard and, and pallets. And I walked through an area and looked over on a bed that was made super nice. But the bedspread was just filthy. And on that bedspread was a little small New Testament that was just shattered that someone had given to that that particular family because they're probably sharing it you see we have bibles at home that are they still got the gold stuff on them you know because we haven't really touched them yet right if we're really honest there's no passion there's no compassion so how do we get it pray go send others 
have a church that constantly is given toward missions and moving toward the end of giving the gospel to the people who need it. And by the way, the mission field's coming to us now, isn't it? We need to be ready to go. My plan is to have another class on how to lead someone to Jesus Christ. I have a whole booklet that I can give you that will help you through it so that we can bring more people to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I'll close with this. It's a story I heard years ago, the harvest. What can I do? And the story says, I'm reminded of an old man walking, walking the beach at dawn who noticed a young man ahead of him picking up starfish and flinging them into the sea. Catching up to the youth, he asked him what what he was doing. The answer was that he was taking the stranded starfish, the ones that would die, and he was helping them. The beach was going on for miles, and there were millions of starfish. How can your effort make a difference? The old man said to the young man. And the young man looked at the starfish in his hand, and he threw it into the waves. And he made a difference in that one. Have you ever led someone to Jesus? Have you ever discipled them? It's a whole other story. Have you ever got them strong enough so that they could actually show you something in the Bible that they've learned? That's what's missing. That imperative was given to every single believer. Maybe you've never put your faith and your trust in the person of Jesus Christ. You thought it was a religion. You thought it was maybe some kind of Greek Orthodox or Roman Catholicism or maybe you thought it was being a Presbyterian. It wasn't any of that. It was putting your faith and your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I want to give an invitation. If you're here this morning and you believe God is working in your heart, I want to hear from you. I want to help you. I I want Oscar Schindler's words, I could have done more to go into the ears of the believers that are here today. And let me ask you a few questions. The first one is to all those that have asked Jesus Christ to be their Savior. You know 100% sure that you've trusted Jesus as your Savior and you've asked him to come into your life and say, I'm talking to you then. Could you have done more? That question is so obvious. You don't have to raise your hands. But maybe there's somebody here this morning that said, I've heard about Jesus in a way that I've never heard about him before. And I want to receive him. He made it really clear. To them that received him, to them gave he power to become the sons or the right to become the sons of God. And maybe this morning would be the day that you would come and walk the aisle and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you just need to come to an old-fashioned altar but the Spirit of God is at work. Why don't you come? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Stand to your feet, if you would, with me. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide in this invitation. Help them to come. In Jesus' name, amen.